Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody. Are you tired of losing leads? Well, then I want you to go back to episode 157. We interviewed Tom Caffarella, and this guy is a monster at finding leads, keeping leads, and converting leads. And Tom has a special offer for you. He is now giving away his simple three-step process for how you can more than double your investment business this year by building a brokerage team without taking up any of your time. What? And if this sounds awesome, which it does, you can find all about it at www.buildateamthatbringsyoudeals.com. Again, www.buildateamthatbringsyoudeals.com. Everything you need to know, go check it out. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to the Real Estate Investing Foundation with Jason and Peely. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Gene Guarino. Hi, Gene. Hi, Gene. How are you doing? Good to see you both. Good to see you as well. And a little bit about Gene. Gene is president of Residential Assisted Living Academy in Phoenix, Arizona, and has over 30 years experience in real estate investing and business. Today, is oh. Gene is just focused on just one thing. We're going to talk about this a lot today, investing in the mega trend of senior assisted housing. Having trained tens of thousands of investors, entrepreneurs over the last 25 years, he now specializes in helping others take advantage of this mega trend opportunity. Wow. Well, welcome, Gene. And uh, that, that's a lot in there just for a short bio. So, yes. so we, we're going to just backtrack that a little bit and just start with well, just where you are today. How did you first even get started in real estate? Well, it goes a long way back. I'm, I'm an old guy now with a white beard, but when I was 18 years old, uh, that's when we bought our very first house. I was actually a professional musician, had a recording studio, a small record label, and we were renting a house from a guy for two years. So when, when I was 16 to 18, terrible landlord, old beat up building, and we said, that's it. We're either going to shut it down or we have to get something else. And looked up the street, saw a for sale sign. Walked up, pulled that sign out of the front yard, walked home with it, got on the phone, dialing. That's, that's a reference to how old I am. <laughs> and, Rotary dial? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ended up buying that house, no money down, because we had no money. We had no clue. But that was the beginning of now 30 plus years in real estate, uh, from buy and hold to fix and flip and everything in between. Wow. wow. So most important question, what instrument did you play or, or do you still play? <laughs> Drums. <laughs> Drums. A little bit of keyboard. We were actually out watching Brian Culberson, one of my absolute favorite uh, keyboardists last night in concert. Awesome. But drums, that's it. Drums. So we, we have a couple of young kids at home and, uh, and my aunt got us a uh, drum set and we, we didn't know if we had done something wrong to her or not <laughs> But uh, for a three-year-old. But uh, yeah, we're learning the hard way about drums right now. Oh, that's a, a painful fun, one. That's great. Yeah, well, get the electronic ones. Give me a set of headphones and the electronic, the rubber pads. You'll be a lot happier. <laughs> okay. Lesson learned. Take that note down. So how did you learn and who, or who helped you get into real estate? You know, way back then it was, uh, there was no classes like there is today. There wasn't TV like there is today. So the only person that we knew that was doing anything different than a nine to five job was the neighbor across the street, Pete Malia. He was a pool installer. He installed pools. So we asked him, we said, Pete, do you know anything about investing in real estate? So he shared with us everything he knew and, and walked us through the process of how to do it. 
And then we went out and got private loans for the down payment. We assumed the loan for the rest. And from there, I kind of caught the fire and started reading books that I could get out of the library. Uh, you know, I remember some of the names, Ed Beckley, and uh, even this was even before Robert Allen and, or just the very beginning. But prior to him was the guy named William Nickerson. The book was published in like 1964 or something like that. Learned, asked questions, and took action. Great. Wow. And you talked about a couple things there. You were saying talking about private money. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so yeah. you, you, you were taking on private money before, and uh, that, that was one of your first deals there. You, you went out and just asked friends and family for money for your deal? That was pretty much it, because after the banks turned us down, you know, we had no choice. And it's kind of funny because everybody always says, oh, don't go to friends and family. And I'm like, well, what's the alternative? Enemies and strangers? So <laughs> it just kind of sounds weird, right? So you have to go to the people that know you, love you, trust you. And that's what we did. Wow. So going back to that first uh, time when you took that steak out of the out of the front yard and you got on your phone and you called. So what allowed you to take that first step? Like, was it something mental? Was it something going on in your life? Like, what made you take that first, like, action step? You know, I think a, a lot of times we talk about the why. Why do you do what you do? And for us, it was pretty simple. We had that business, and it was either literally shut it down, and 300 music students, a recording studio, small record label, all out of a single-family home, that we were just making the best use of it. We were living upstairs and running the business downstairs. But we had a, this enterprise and it's, we can't, it's just so terrible that it was, we had to do it. So I think, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention, as they say, and we needed to do something else. And that's why we did it. Wow. Nice. And you seem very entrepreneurial in spirit. Is that, is that what your parents had done too? Were your parents entrepreneurs? Actually, it's kind of funny because my father was a college professor and taught on that level. My mother was a nurse and taught nursing. But as a mom, she was always trying to get us to do something. So go outside and pick up sticks and we'd bring them home, wrap them up and sell it to the neighbors. It was called Kindling for Kids. Uh, go get <laughs> pine cones and go a Christmas tree and sell it to them. Go get a bushel of apples and sell it. So she was, I think, just trying to get us out of the house, but it was turning into a very entrepreneurial upbringing. <laughs> and, and you look at that course and, and how you've really transpired with real estate. We talked a little bit before the show started that you've worked in all aspects of real estate. And, but today, you're really focused on residential assisted living. And, and why have all those other spaces not been for you? or maybe they were at the time, but why have you put all those aside and really focused on this one niche today? When you are 18 years old, when we did our first property, making $100 a month is exciting. Today, it doesn't pay for a round of golf. And when you do fix and flip and you make $20,000, you feel like a, a, a hero, a king, and then you realize I got to give seven or eight grand that in taxes and that just didn't go that and I'm unemployed I don't have a house to sell next time so I got to go do it again so the concept of transactional I'm in and I'm out and the concept of buy and hold you know there's some things that are great about it but the older I got the more I realized what I'm looking for is significant residual income not a hundred a month but thousands a month and not two thousand but ten or twenty thousand a month 
So when I thought about that from a money-making perspective and then bigger picture what's happening in our world, the baby boomers drive our economy for the last 60, 70 years or so, where are they going? And the answer is this silver tsunami is aging. They need help. They need a place to live. So it's the perfect mix of real estate, business, and being at the right place at the right time. Is there areas that work better for this? I would assume that, of course, some of the warmer areas, Florida, Arizona, where people are moving. But can this work in New Jersey, like in my market? Can this work anywhere if you have the right opportunity? It, yeah, it absolutely can work anywhere because you, you guys know in New Jersey, the concept is I retired and moved to Florida. And if you're west of the Mississippi, retire, move to Arizona. But the reality is most people stay at home. They want to be near the kids and the grandkids. And it looks like you guys are expecting this. That's great. Awesome. Yes, so the kids and the grandkids, yeah. And they want to be there. So a lot of them age in place in Jersey, in Maine, in the cold states, as well as the warm states. So there are 30 to 40,000 of these homes in the U.S., what we do, this residential assisted living. Most of them are very small, mom and pop, five or six beds. But then there's people like myself that have 10, 12, 16 beds in that home, and we're making a business out of it all over the country. So you definitely can do it in Jersey as well as Florida or Arizona. All right. So if, say, we were looking at space, let's be self-serving here. If we were looking at New Jersey and we were doing, what, what would we look for? What, what is something that, that when you go out there and help your, help your students look for, for a property, what do you teach them to look for? And, and help us understand a little bit more of the process. And are we managing these homes? And, and is there certain licenses and laws that we're abiding by? Of course, there are. But what, what would be some high-level items? So the first thing is location. You know, in real estate, we always talk location, location, location. The location that we're looking for is not near the river or the mountains or the, it's not that, it's the people that live around. So the demographics. So your target demographic is probably 50 or 60 years old. Their parents are 80 and 90. They're the ones that are going to be in assisted living. But the kids who are 50, 60, that's who your real client is. So you want to be in areas that are not below average and not at the top of the top, but on a, on a level one to level five, and that's what we teach, level three, four is kind of our sweet spot. So it's upper middle income in a nice area, and you want to be right in the middle of that neighborhood, not on the outskirts. Now, not, we're not paying for the view. What mom needs is help and care for or dad, a lot of women compared to men, but what they need is the care and they want to be as close to the kids as possible, and the kids want to go visit. So the location is the right demographics, and then nearby a lot of those people in that demographic. Then the next piece is knowing what the rules are, the rules and regulations. I, I, it's playing a game, and once you understand the game, the rules, we can play the game and win. But if you don't know what the rules are, you can't win. There's different rules in different states, different locations, even in Jersey, whether it's Hoboken or whether it's you know Atlantic City, there's rules. So you need to know what the rules are in that location, and now we can begin playing the game. So, so in terms of if you're looking for a product, I, I would assume you're looking for single-story homes, large footprints, hopefully a lot of bedrooms. And are, are you looking at buying just the real estate and then, and then hiring a company to come in there and help with this or, or to help us understand a little bit more of the process. So you got it. So there's two parts. Real estate is one and business is the other. So let's talk about the real estate first location. Just like you said, if it's a large footprint, meaning single level, lot of space, three, 4,000 square foot house, that's perfect. 
but there aren't a lot of those in Jersey. There are a lot of two stories and attics and basements and so on. So in a lot of places in the country, these are done in multi-story homes, perfectly fine. In Arizona and other places, there are single level ranches, that type of thing, that's even better. Because any senior with any mobility issue isn't gonna have a problem if there are no stairs for them to go up and down. So the location is key. The size of the home, it's probably gonna be bigger rather than smaller. Not a three bed, two bath kind of a beginner home. It's gonna be the bigger home that you see. And it may be the home, and I'm gonna to start to describe it, that some of you have passed on because it was too big. I can't rent it, I can't make enough money on the rental or they converted the garage into living space and they have grab bars all around and they took out the bathtubs and put in rolling showers and they even had a sprinkler system in the house. And now you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, that would have been a perfect residential assisted living home. Wouldn't have had to do any renovation to it. On the other side, people either pass on it because it's too big or it's on a busy corner, power lines. There's, it's not, the, and I'm like, that's perfect for me. Mom doesn't sit out in the front yard. We don't need to play catch in the backyard. So on the busy corner is perfect. That means easy to find. Other people say, I don't want it. The kids don't want to play outside. I'm like, that's the perfect location. So there's a lot of differences, yet it's a single family home in that residential neighborhood. Getting down the real estate side, you do some things to the home to make it senior friendly, but not ADA compliant. So it doesn't need to have a commercial kitchen or all of those things, but senior friendly, grab bars near the showers and toilets. You're going to have wider doors if you can, smooth floors, get rid of the shag carpet, put in a smooth floor, less trip hazards, uh, smoke detectors hardwired together for sure. If they require it, a sprinkler system, fire suppression. Frankly, even if they don't require it, do it anyway. It's safe. And I'm going to pause for a minute because I know some people are thinking that's a lot of work. That's a lot of extras. But what we're going to talk about is a concept where you can take that single family home and after all expenses, including the real estate and everything, you can net 10, 15, even $20,000 per month from that single family home. So I'm going to answer one more question that you, you asked and there's so many to, to answer. Sure. Manager, I don't want you to be hands-on. I don't want you to live in the house. I don't want you to be the manager of caregiver, the cook, the baker, the candlestick maker. Do it as a business, right location. We're going to find the manager. They're going to hire the caregivers and fill the house. And so my job, your job would be to manage the manager. So today I, I texted my manager a couple of times and actually we're going over to the house to shoot a commercial later today. So I will see her today. I will see the home, one of the homes today, but I'm usually not over there very often at all. The only time I may go to the home is when we do one of our live trainings and we get in a bus and go see the homes. Other than that, I talk to her on the phone, text, email, occasional Skype, five to 10 hours a week is what I, what I invest to manage the manager and oversee the homes. So now I'm curious about the manager. Now, is this, is this manager a person that, that is, this is probably state by state, so that just maybe if there's a high-level answer to this, are, are, is this manager someone that's basically caring for all the tenants or, or they have a special license or is this someone that, that is managing the, the care technicians? I don't know great if I'm using right technology or so, if I'm just making it up. No, no, you're doing pretty good, and that's a great question. The manager is really a key to your success. And just like in anything, good people and having the right team of people is really important to be successful in anything you do. So the manager in this case, every state does have their own qualifications. So I'm going to give you kind of a, a soup to nuts. In some states, it's 18 years old, a GED, and a 24-hour course, 
you can be a manager of an assisted living care home. Wow. In other states like Arizona, you have to have 104 hours to be a caregiver, tests, then another 40 hours to be a manager with tests, and then two years of experience before you can be a manager. Wow. So that's kind of one side to the other. The state has certain qualifications. Don't be the manager, hire the manager. I don't care. You're not going to, even if it's easy to do, have somebody else be the manager. So then the question is, well, what do they get paid and all of that? It could be a caregiver that's acting as the manager. It could be a standalone manager. But frankly, to, to have one single family home with 10 residents in it is not a full-time job for a manager. So that's a, either a part-time manager or it's a caregiver that is the manager, something like that. Very interesting. And it, are you, have you found that your best managers, I, I guess, so you're, you're operating all over the country, correct? I have my homes just in Arizona, but we do have students with homes all over the country. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about hiring. I, I would figure as managers, you said this is the, the, basically your lifeline to your property. What, what's some key, key things you would be searching for for this manager? What would really stand out for a person that, that helps you be so successful in your business? I think, you know, I actually told my current manager, I said, the less I hear from you, the more you get paid. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. And I mean that. Yeah. The point is, what do you need to be successful? You're trained. You know what to do. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to keep the house full. I need you to keep everybody happy. I need you to make sure that the caregivers are excellent and they do what they're supposed to do. And the families are happy because mom and dad are taken care of. And as long as that all happens, life is good. So some managers are more capable than others, just like in anything in life. So you're looking for somebody who's a self-starter is one way to say it, but I want somebody who's going to take ownership, pride of ownership. And uh, you can compensate them based on, you know, a percentage of the income. You could do it based on, you know, recognition and so on. But I mean, I, I pay my manager based on, uh, they get uh, some to manage each one of the homes, but then occasionally, depending on how things are going, I just bonus her money, you know. I gave her a, a thousand bucks uh, recently. It's just, we met someplace and I just said, here you go, a little extra. And she was flabbergasted, you know, but she's so, it's so good to be able to do that because we're making a lot of money and to be able to give them a thousand dollar bonus is unexpected for them, but it's something we definitely can do. And it, it really goes a long way with keeping them happy as well. <laughs> and so that, that's great. Thank you. And if maybe we'll take this to the tenant side, if you are now, you know, if you're, your parents are maybe looking to move into one of these facilities in New Jersey, we're seeing a lot of people build these massive facilities around us. What, what's the difference and why, why is someone wanting to come to a house and, and what's a marketing package look like when you're looking for these tenants? So one thing I want to make sure to say, cause you use the word tenant three different times and I want to make sure that's fine. That's the sure. normal way people think but they're not tenants. And that's important because tenant landlord relationship, that's not what we do. The tenant, if I'm leasing the house to an outside entity is the business that's operating the residential system living. The resident, so not a patient, not a tenant, the resident who lives in the house, mom or dad, they're there and they're, they're paying for their care. If uh, they don't pay, they have to go. It's kind of like a restaurant where if you don't pay for the meal, well, you gotta go. So it's not a landlord-tenant relationship, just want you to know. And then in regards to what makes us different from the big box versus us, you know, when my mom needed help, and this is when it all became real for me, I, I heard about this 15 years ago. 
But the guy who was sharing it from the front of the room, I ran up, said, tell me more. He's like, well, I can't. I don't actually do this. I'm just saying you should do it. <laughs> uh, we've all had that experience. Yep. Whether somebody telling you how wonderful something is. Well, I own and operate these homes. So I wish there was a class like mine to go to to learn it. But the, the home itself, when we talk about the resident, why does somebody move into our home versus the Brookdale or the Sunrise or the Atria, the 200-bed beautiful facility? Well, number one, mom, and again, I always say mom, but it's dad too. Mom lived in a house for 85 years. She doesn't want to move to a hotel or an apartment building. That's eye candy for us because we as the kids or the grandkids are looking at that saying, this is great. You've got a theater room. You've got a sewing room. You've got a dining hall. She's like, I just want to be in my own house. But yeah. she needs help. So now what else is there for her? Lots of people. There may be 200 other people, which sounds great if you want to be with 200 other people. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be sitting here in my own house and you know go to the concert like I did last night, but not live in a place where there's 200 people. So some people want the big, but a lot of people, especially the seniors, want the smaller home, not home-like. I do think the big box facility is eye candy for the kids, though, because we walk in and say, look at all these wonderful things. We'll put mom here. The important thing there is to know that the kids are the decision makers. They're the ones who are paying the bill, and it is them that is going to decide where mom is going to go. We do get a lot of residents that came from the big box facility and moved into our home because they found after they got there, gee, they didn't really get the personal care that I was hoping for. When we talk about care, that's really the key. It's not crown molding or how many bathrooms. It's, is mom being taken care of? Do the people there love her and take care of her? In a big box facility where there's 200 residents, there might be 10 direct caregivers on staff during the day. So ratio of 20 to one. In our homes with 10 or 12 residents, we'll have two caregivers during the day. So five or six to one, <clears throat> you know who the caregiver is. You see her every day. In the big box facility, it's just a shift of people that come through in and out. So the personal care, they don't have as much time as we do. Food, instead of a cafeteria, we have it cooked in the kitchen right there by the caregiver. So it's a home, not home-like. It may cost the same or more to be in that home, maybe less, but it's a home. So nice. now, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm commandeering all the questions here. So <laughs> I'll ask one more and then you jump in and, and kick me off, off the show here. So in regards to now the caregivers, is just so I understand your model, maybe, maybe you do a few different. Are you now renting the house to the caregivers and then the residents are paying the caregiver? Or are you hiring the caregiver and then the residents are now paying? Um, Got it. There's different models, but the way that we teach it and the way I do it is I have one entity that owns the real estate, a separate entity that owns the business, so the operations of the business. That entity will lease the real estate from this entity here. So there's two entities and the separation, asset protection, and so on. The business entity over here, I hire the manager as an independent contract. It's you're on 24-7. Here's the job at hand they're going to hire the caregivers. Now, I pay them. They're employees of my business. I could outsource that, but that gets too expensive, frankly. So those are my employees, those caregivers. But the manager is the one that makes sure that all of that is done correctly. At the end of every second week, I just review those numbers, hit approve, transfer money from one account to the other. So she's hiring and firing the caregivers, doing the schedule. 
She's the one that's also getting the word out to our referral sources to bring new residents in. When a room opens up, the word goes out, there's a bed available. I, I had a, we had two calls this morning already of people who need a home. So they're looking to do a tour of our home and we'll see if they're a good fit for the home or not. We don't have to accept anybody. So if they have the right budget, if they're a good uh, fit within the home, their care and so on, then we'll say yes. And if it's not, then we'll say no. So you can tell Jason's, uh, Jason and I are a bit passionate about this. We have looked at, at programs like this in the past. Nothing has actually worked out. So. Yeah, it was for her grandpa was going in, my grandma actually, and that was really spawned. So it's really curious yeah. to when you were talking about your family members that, that spawns a lot of action because when you look at the opportunities that are around, sometimes they can be sparse and sometimes you just see they're not, not the right opportunities for your family and and that was we actually it spawned that we had a house that we were actually supposed to do a construction project on and the the um the owner of it had some problems with the the uh the township and they were possibly looking around when we said what else could be done with this house trying to help the homeowner out and it was just a combination of everything so yeah really curious and it's very helpful for people and i'm sure that it's gratifying to see how how happy people are living in your homes so let's flip the switch a little bit let's talk a little bit about your training um, now that you've got sure. basically gone through a whole training program with Jason. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just scratched the tip of the surface. I'm sure we have because on this point I can delve down in the million questions, but that that's a really awesome. Thank you for that. That'll be very helpful for me. Definitely me if, if I'm sure everybody else, but if <laughs> I'm, sending, me. I'm sending Jason to Arizona <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about your training. How there you go. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, I'm a teacher by nature, so the idea of uh, you got me still. There we go. Yes. I'm a teacher by nature. I, I love to share. Uh, last weekend it was Memorial Day weekend, so I don't know when this is airing, but I was out in Kansas City. One of my students had their open house, and we went out to the open house. Just opened it up. Just tickled pink to see it. Also, while we were there, we saw three other students in the area that were opening up their homes or had opened their homes. So to me, what I love about what I do is showing up people how to do it, walking them through it, and then seeing and watching them do it too is just hugely gratifying. So it's the action that these people are taking. So when we did the training originally, I, in the past, again, I've been around for a long time, I bought tons of books and tapes bought the books, put them on the shelf, never watched, sold them in a garage sale for $10 two years later. That doesn't work. So for me, I wanted to create a training that it's an immersion training. You come, you come see it, touch it, feel it, smell it. So that's why we do a three-day live training in Phoenix, Arizona. It's here because nobody would open their homes to me to show me around from the inside out, but that's exactly what I do. We come into the classroom, we learn, then we get on a bus, we go see the homes, you meet the manager, the caregivers, everything, the context for the content. And that's when people really have the big aha moment. They're like, now I get it. Now I understand what you're doing. I can tell you about it, but until you touch it, feel it and smell it, then you really don't get it. So people come out for the three day training and it's an immersion class. At the end of it, my goal is to have you go do it and then do it more than once because the first one's just like kids. First one's hard. You know, you drop the pacifier and it's like, boil it, go it. <laughs> By the time you have the second kid, it's like, ah, five-second rule, you're wiping it off. By the time you have the third kid, you're like, you pick it up yourself, you know, yep. or your brother will pick it up for you. 
So it's just these poems are the same way. The first one is, is difficult. There's roadblocks. There's things that people will, if you're not trained and you're not aware of what's going to happen, you're going to say, oh, that's too hard. And they fall down and say, I can't do it. But if you know what you're doing and you get through and you do the first one, the second one's easier. By the time you got it down, you've got a system and you can do it as many times as you want. And I think that was a lot of my questions there is that this is an absolutely fabulous niche. And, but there's just a lot of things that, that people find that, oh, it's scary. Oh, you're, you're dealing with the business. You're dealing with a point. But there's so many different points. And if you're looking at population trends and just the patterns of, of where we're moving here, there's a lot of reasons you, you should be looking into this class. And, and Gene is, is top top of the notch so in in regards to your program you do this course i know it's coming up um do you, you're doing this a number of times a year or how many times a year are you putting a course out there for people yeah, to come yeah. in arizona we have eight trainings a year wow and, awesome uh, yeah so our next one is actually literally this weekend we start with our cocktail hour tomorrow night but uh it's the next one is in july then september and so on and when it comes to the training itself uh by the way we decided at the beginning, I've got a free training that I'm going to give everybody access to. It's about an hour and 15 minutes and seven parts. You'll all have access to that. You'll learn a ton because I know you've got questions. Those of you who are listening and you're wondering, what about this? And what about that? It'll answer a lot of those questions and decide if this is something right for you. But the class always fills up. We have people literally from all over the country and even internationally now coming in for the class. Uh, we do it in Phoenix because we see the properties and you'll meet amazing people. I'm always blown away by the quality of people in that room who are there for this purpose. We even have a national convention now that's in Scottsdale in October. Uh, and it's uh, real, real exciting. We'll have like 500 people at the national convention this year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. If you look at the, the next five years of your business, where, where do you see it going and where, where do you see this industry going? The baby boomers are here and you cannot stop them. It's an unstoppable force. Uh, this is a good business now, but 10 years from now is when the baby boomers are going to hit. And so it's a really good business now and our timing is great. So this is just going to continue to ramp up. And then very quickly after that, we will continue to train people. Uh, we've got a tremendous team. It used to be just me five years ago, four years ago. And now I've got a team of 12 that supports our students and walks them through it. And many of them are former students. So they got their first and second and fifth home. And now they're supporting the students. So I love that as well. But one thing I do want to say, because I know you said something really important. You had a grandparent you said you were looking for a home for? Yes, yep. we did. Yep. She yeah. was the uh, first one in the community about 25 years ago, and it's been purchased and repurchased about two or three times now. And the uh, current owners of the community just are not taking care of it. And there are some things that need to be updated. And just a uh, circumstance where it's time for her to move. And she's, of course, you know, she was in there when she started 65. Now she's in her 80s. And uh, things change 65 to 85, 88, you know. And uh, so a lot changes. And you need wow. you have different needs and different, uh, different wants and, and things that need to change in the environment and that's what really first spawned this you know what's really cool about that is again you guys are a lot younger than i am and i always say to everybody you're going to get involved in assisted living one way or the other yeah either as the real estate owner or the business owner or the combination of the two like we do or you or a family member is going to be in a home you're going to be writing a check for thousands and much more than you ever thought to have somebody else take care of so imagine if everybody listening, if you just do one of these homes, just one home, just one single home, not only can you make a lot of money today, but when it's time for you or a loved one to move into the home, you can move right into the master bedroom and live for free. 
That's and awesome. then you can pass that asset on to the kids and they have a, a cash flowing asset versus all of their inheritance got sucked away at 5,000 a month for the last five years. And that's what I see happens a lot of times, you guys, as people move into the home, the resident has no clue that it's costing 5,000 a month, 6,000 a month. The family is the one who's paying that. And it's a burden to them. They're going to liquidate their home, uh, the parents' home. They're going to take their, their pension plan, their social security, all of the assets. And after that's all gone, then they start digging into their own money. And on one side, that's a crisis. On the other side, it's an opportunity. So your opportunity is to provide this solution where they are paying huge money. I went to Kansas City, the one home uh, that was there. They just opened the beginning of the month. They've already got three residents, and they're getting $6,900 per person for each resident in that home. They're wow. licensed for 13. You know, they'll be full in just a few months' time, but almost 7000 per person to live in that home. You can just imagine the cash flow, the positive cash flow, and more importantly, the impact that they're helping these other people. We call that do good and do well. So let wow. me ask you maybe if you're a resident that, that looking for one of these homes, maybe we have someone listening to the show that, that's thinking about moving. Does insurance ever help with this? Long-term care insurance will pay for this, but less than 10% of the people out there have long-term care insurance. It. It'll pay two, $300 a day, and we love that as operators. If somebody walks in and says, I have a long-term care insurance policy for Metropolitan. It's like angel singing. That's a beautiful thing. Got it. Uh, but most people walk in and say, I, I have a budget of $3,000 a month. And you ask them, well, how did you come up with that? Well, dad gets $1,500 from Social Security and he gets $1,500 from his pension plan. So that's $3,000. All right. But he owns a home free and clear and he also has this, that, and the other. So if we're asking $5,000 per bed per month, if, they, if it's important enough to them to be in a quality home versus just a home they can afford, they'll start to liquidate those assets as they go. Uh, so really the price does matter, the location does matter, but the care is really what people are paying for and that's important to know. That's great, that's great. I have uh, one more question if you allow me to jump in. <laughs> go ahead. When you look at this space over the big, the big horizon of where it's going, yeah. What's something that it may be a regulation or a rule that you wish would change or, or, or be adapted or could be fixed or corrected that you, you know would make this environment better and that, that would be a good push for change? That's a really interesting question. You know, I, I'm not a pro-government, you know, I really don't like, especially, anyway, I don't want to go there. I'm going to get off my soapbox. The point is there's too much regulation out there. It's good for certain reasons. Uh, but what people need to understand, and, and it's not us because we're entrepreneurs and we look at this from a money-making standpoint and there's a, a need, so we have a solution. So we get it. But sometimes in a neighborhood, somebody will say, not in my backyard, right? I don't want X. And it's ignorance. They're not sure what it is. So it's easier to say no than I don't know what it is. So I'm just going to say I don't want it. The Fair Housing Act works in our favor. We, they can't discriminate against grandma. Even the places that have said you can't have more than four unrelated adults, well, that's discriminatory. That wouldn't hold up in a court of law. So what I would love to see, just more acceptance so that people say, oh, it's a home for the elderly in the middle of the neighborhood. Beautiful. It's, we're wonderful residents. We keep oh, yeah. the house looking great. There's not parties till midnight. There's not, you know, kids with the hot rods going down the street. And it's not a bunch of people sitting outside smoking and it's, 
it's a home for the elderly. So it's a really good addition and it actually brings up property values, even though people think it'll bring it down. It actually brings it up statistically and that's a report we're actually putting together with our association to prove the point. Uh, but it's a good thing and I would love to see not regulation, but just acceptance in general for things that are different. But I get it because sometimes people lump us in with uh, group homes for drug addicts or sex offenders or things like that. And it's like, I get that. They need a place as well. But I can't say I would like that next door. But when you're talking about 85-year-olds living in a home, no worries there, you know? So we've gone a little bit over. But we have a few short-form questions we'd love to go over with you. And then uh, before we let you go, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Pili, you're like a ventriloquist, though. He does all the... You know, <laughs> it's been one of those where I jumped in, so I'm letting her... All right, go. You I'm glad you both three questions from Pili. Oh, Ed, go. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless now. No. Um, so, really, what steps would you give someone like that's either new to real estate or even an investor like Jason and I, who we've done, we've done multiple asset classes, we've never jumped yeah. into this one, what would be the first step to taking the jump into this asset class? The first thing and most important thing is to know that it's not about the real estate. All right. As real estate investors, we, it's easy. I can fix it, flip it, you know, shine it up, sell it. Mm -hmm. This it's about location. So where it is, is much more important than what it is. So I could scrape the house away and build it brand new. And that is a great way to go as well. But, it's the location. So the business is more important that it runs successfully. If you just want to be involved in the real estate part, more important than getting the house is finding the tenant. So what I mean by that is you need to know who you're going to lease it to. Because if I wanted to get into a certain neighborhood and saying, I don't want to spend X number of dollars for the house, but you two are real estate investors, I'm willing to lease the house from you. But I want a couple of things. I want a five-year lease. First of all, are you okay with that? Yes. You're good. Yep. Number two, I want you to do some work on the house that I need to get done. Maybe it's doing some work with the bathrooms, maybe doing smoke detectors or something where it's going to cost you some extra money, but I'm willing to pay maybe up to twice the market rent, twice the market rent, five-year lease, but I need you to do some modifications to the house. So now if, if we can come to an agreement like that, now your next question would be, tell me where you want the house. So now you go shopping for them, buying the house with that tenant in place. If you do it that way, life is good. The other way to do it is don't listen to anything I said. Don't come to my training. Try to figure this out on your own. Go buy a house. Do everything you think you should do in the house you think it should, where it should be. And then go look for a tenant. And I've had people do that. They, they watch my YouTube videos and they say, oh, I went out and bought a house. And then they call me a year later and say, how do I get a tenant? How do I get a resident? And I'm ask for that. And they're like, yeah, it's too expensive for your class. Okay. But you've had a house empty for a year now yep. and you don't even know how to get a resident in there. So we pay for our education one way or the other. Uh -huh. wow. And you're coming back to me and asking me questions and you don't want to pay for the class. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we get that a lot. Well, talking about your class, cause Jason and I are huge on mentorship, huge on system. So in your class, do you give your students all the systems that they need to succeed? Yeah, we do. And that's when I created the training, I did it uh, where it was literally just me for three days. And it was teach you everything that I know. We'd get to the end of the three days and I'm exhausted. And it's like, I gave you everything that I know. 
So that was my goal is to make sure that you knew what to do and you can go do it. I can't push a rope though. I can't make somebody do it. So at the end of the class is somebody saying, hey, I would like some additional help. I want some mentorship or consulting or something. We now make that available. I didn't before because it was just me and I taught them everything I know. Now I teach them everything that I know and I say, if you want help, we can help you write a business plan all the way to be on your board of advisors to help get funding or whatever it may be. Uh, but the training itself is made, designed, created to be self-sufficient so you can do it. That's Perfect. amazing. And so let's flip the switch on it a little bit. Sure. Um, more about you. And you had mentioned this before, your big why. Mm. What is your big why? Well, now that I've got four kids, my youngest is 20 and my oldest is 30, and I've got two grandkids, six months wow. old and five years old in about a month or so, things are different, right? It's, uh -huh. not, it's not a matter of uh, trying to make it or make money. And, it, and even the tax part of it, the idea of keeping what you make is important, but it's why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, big picture, we're all going to die. And I like to, let's get that right out. We're all going to die. The question is, what did you leave behind? Who did you affect? Do you have people that love you and you love them and, and they miss you or good riddance, they're gone? And it's not, is there a big building with your name on it? But I want to teach other people so they can do what they want to do. I always told my kids, I, you know, you don't need to do what I do. I find out what you want to do and you love to do. And let's do that. You do that. What's really interesting is three of my four kids now work with me full time. I didn't ask them to. They came to me and said, I see what you're doing and I, I love it. Can we be a part of it? And I never expected that, guys. It was really not my thing. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur and they were really not interested in other things. I've had them do work for me, forced them. They call me pharaohs sometimes, digging holes and shoveling rocks. And uh, it's funny. It's a family joke. But uh, no, when they came to me and wanted to be a part of it, that's, I think, when you know you, you've really done something. You've left something behind. And I know if I were literally just to close my eyes and pass away right now, I'm in great shape. The family, they'll be sad that I'm gone. I'm in, if you want to have that conversation, we can, but I'm good. But I taught them well. They know in their head and in their heart what they want to do, and they have the skill to be able to do it. That's what I want to help other people with. Get to that point where it's not about the money. It's not about stuff. It's about doing something good. Nice. Great answer. Yeah. Great answer. And you have some words that you live by. Uh, man, there's so many. But, you know, our motto is do good and do well. I, I have no problem with making money and I love to give money away. That's the do well part. I think a lot of people, frankly, are afraid of success. And that fear of success, it's subconscious, but it sabotages most people. They think it's a fear of failure, but no, they, they know how to fail. They've done it many times. It's what if I succeed? What if I actually make $20,000 a month from one property? I'm going to want a different house, different neighborhood, different car. My friends may be different. And actually the people around them are critically important because you got to hang around with people that are supporting you, that want to go with you, not hold you back. They love you, but they're like a crab in a bucket pulling you down. Because if you make more, you might want to move to a different neighborhood and do different things. So do good and do well. It's a good thing to make money, and, but do something good. That's great. Great answer. And final, final question, unless Jason has 10 more. No, only 30. <laughs> do you still play the drums? Occasionally. Okay. I, have, okay. I have a Got couple it. of drum kits up there, but yeah. 
What is what is the best way to pe for people to contact you and get on your program? You got it. And let me give that free tra yes, training. Please. So those of you who are getting ready to write this down, they'll put it in the show notes as well. R-A-L-101. So three letters, R-A-L and three numbers, 101.com. When you go there, it's a free training. I Sometimes about half a dozen times a year, I'll do a full day five, six hours of training. I took the essence of that, boiled it down to an hour and 15 minutes, broke that down into seven segments so it's easy to watch and consume. And that is free. It's there. You just log in, sign up for it. At the end of that, if you have more questions, call us, email us, sign up, get the home study course or do the live training itself. You can go to our website at ralacademy.com and that'll get you a lot more information as well. Absolutely incredible. This is Amazing. great. Well, Gene, we, we really appreciate this today. This is a great space for people to learn about. And RAL101.com, I would say, go there. An hour of your time, an hour and 15 minutes is going to be well spent learning about a great space in real estate. So, Gene, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. So very much, Gene. It's been a pleasure having you on. It's a pleasure. And it's so great to have a couple doing this as well, because a lot of times it's just one person sitting there and I love this, you interacting and doing business together. So keep it up. Except when I steal the show and talk and talk the whole time, but um, on that point, so. She's prettier than I am. Stop. <laughs> no, I won't say that. <laughs> well, thank you again, Gene. Thank you. Thank you everyone out there for listening. This is the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you again for listening. So grateful. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Looking for lending for your next project? Well, we want to introduce you to Fund That Flip. So what is Fund That Flip? Well, Fund That Flip is fast, affordable funding for your next real estate transaction. And trust me, we know. We've used them and are using them currently for deals that we're working on flipping homes. So if you want white glove service, check out Fund That Flip for great terms, reliable service, just everything you're looking for from a funding partner. Peely, where can we find them? You can find them at fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. Again, that's fundthatflip.com backslash REI Foundation. What are you waiting for? Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.